0: Well, good morning. We interrupt our regularly scheduled sermon series through Romans for a very special day today here at Living Hope Community Church. It's a very special day in the life of this church, a day we've been praying for since we planted Living Hope nearly 13 years ago. We started Living Hope, uh, let's see, in 2008, April of 2008, Around that time, with the vision of being a family of families that love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. It's always been our mission here to magnify the name of Jesus, to model Christ with our lives, to make disciples and multiply the church for his glory. And today we're living out that mission, that mission of multiplying the church for his glory by ordaining Tiago to the gospel ministry. Brother Tiago is following the leading of the Lord in his life to pursue being a pastor. He's been preparing for this for many, many years. Unity Baptist Church, the church just next door, has been without a pastor for over a year. I didn't even know that. Some of you know that, some of you don't know that. And that's really a sad thing. Uh, And the church has been in decline in that time. Brother Tiago has felt the leading of the Lord to pursue becoming their pastor. Ironically enough, he was at our house on a Wednesday night for prayer, and he said, driving back from that, I don't want to tell the story, I shouldn't do that, but driving back from that, the Lord led him to, you know, pray about being a pastor at some of these churches that have been suffering uh, since COVID, and some have left, you know, don't have leadership, and so he started praying about that, and the Lord led him uh, to, to apply for the position over there at Unity and several others. He'll tell you more of that story in just a moment. But he's felt the leading of the Lord to pursue becoming their pastor. And those talks have been going well. And as part of their process, they require that Tiago be ordained as a pastor to the gospel ministry. And I think that's a very good requirement. <laughs> very good requirement. And uh, the elders here at Living Hope, we've spoken to Tiago. We've prayed much over this. And uh, we're excited today to ordain Brother Tiago to the gospel ministry as a pastor and an elder. Now, we learned extensively about the offices of deacon and elder in the church as we taught through 1 Timothy and Titus several years ago. Some of you may remember that sermon series. Now, today we experience the application of that learning here at Living Hope. Today's time of worship will be a bit different than usual, We'll have a time of learning from God's word, then a time of testimony where Brother Tiago will share his testimony with us and, you know, his leading from the Lord into ministry. And we'll have a special time of prayer for him as he embarks on the ministry that the Lord has led him to. Now we see the qualifications for pastors in the church in 1 Timothy 3. So why don't you turn in your Bibles now to First Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And anytime we do an ordination, we like to make this a time of teaching for the congregation. So it's not just the ceremony. We actually want to learn and dig into, you know, what is God's heart for pastoral ministry? And what are the qualifications for the men who would lead in this ministry? And so we look in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now you're gonna see the term pastor, elder, bishop, or overseer used interchangeably here in this text. It's in the Greek, it's the term episkopos, and it's used uh, over and over again here in this text. And some of your translations are gonna have different English words for that same one Greek term. They're all used interchangeably, referring to this office of church leadership. And so look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 1. The text says this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. God calls some members of each congregation to lead the church as servants of Christ and his people. In other words, even though there is equality before God as children and heirs and priests and ministers, some, not all, are called by God to serve as leaders. We see this in the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their out, the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And so as leaders, you know, it's our heart to say, hey, pay attention. Do what I do. Imitate my faith. Be like me. Every pastor leader should be able to say that and not be ashamed to say that. Be like me. Have the faith that I have. Because I desire to be like Christ. That's the model that I'm following. Hebrews chapter 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give account. Each one of us as pastors, we have to look the Lord Jesus in the face on that day and give an account for how we led and for your souls. You better believe we pray for you regularly. We love you and we're praying for you and we care deeply for your souls. And we will give an account for how well we led, each one of you. We don't take that lightly. I certainly don't. I know my brothers here as pastors don't either. We care deeply. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says this, we beg you, brothers, To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul, in speaking to the elders at Ephesus, says this. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And so we see this pattern in the biblical text of leadership in the congregation. Now notice back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, notice verse 1, that these men aspire to the office or role of elder in the church. God puts a desire in a man's heart that he just can't get away from. There's a desire there. You know, we set our heart on it. It's a passion to lead and to teach God's word to his people. And I tell you, it's just always in there. It's just there. You can't get away from it. Now, there are many who meet the qualifications we see here in First Timothy 3. But there are few that aspire to the office of elder. And this is a noble task, as the text says. It's a good and honorable work. And so it is here at Living Hope that we will not push any man into being an elder. We don't have an elder sign-up table. We don't have an elder recruitment process. Because you got to aspire to that. God has to put it into your heart, men, to do this work. We work to equip and help all of our men to meet the qualifications. If you look at those qualifications there in 1 Timothy 3, you shouldn't just ignore that text saying, well, that's just for pastors. No, every one of us should aspire to meeting those qualifications, walking in righteousness and holiness and faith and strength of faith. So we work as elders to equip everyone to meet those qualifications, but we wait to hear from you whether or not you aspire to this great work. Now, Tiago aspires to pastor God's church. He's told us that. And I ask, what about you, men? There are others of you in this congregation. What about you, men? Has God put that leading into your heart? Maybe recently, maybe a long, long time ago, and maybe you didn't know what to do with it. I can tell you my own personal experience. God put that leading into my heart as a young man, as a teenager. I had no idea what to do with that. And so for years, I just kind of did what the world said to do. You know, you go to college, you get a job, you have a family, you do all these things. This is what the world says to do. But I tell you, it was always in there, and I just didn't know what to do with it. But then it's just something you can't get away from. It's almost like God had to rip my life in a different direction to get me to follow that leading. And so it is with some of you, man. Maybe God put that into your heart, maybe recently or maybe a long time ago. And now it feels like a distant voice. I would encourage you to follow that leading. Talk to us pastors. We will help you and support you in that. It's our heart to see you follow God's leading and to glorify you or glorify him with your life. We will help you with that. So please come and talk to us about that. We want to help you pursue that leading and walk in faithfulness to Christ. And so the congregation, under Christ and by his word and spirit, uses its authority to recognize and affirm leaders whom God calls. Then the congregation puts those people in positions of leadership and voluntarily supports that leadership by learning from their teaching and following them. These leaders in the congregations of the early church were elders. And you saw in the text that I read how you voluntarily submit yourself to their leadership. The point here is that the eldership was not one alternative leadership form among many in the early church. It was, as far as we know, universal. And there were always more than one elder in each church, as far as we know. There's a plurality of elders in the churches. Consider these texts that show just how widespread the practice of having elders in the church was. You can see it in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. It says this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, plural, with the whole church to choose men and to send them to Antioch. So you see a plurality of elders there. In Ephesus, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Again, the plural word is used. All the towns of Crete in Titus chapter one, verse five, says this, this is why I, Paul, left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So you can see how the church just kind of wanders around and is off track without good, solid biblical leadership. The church needs elders, godly, scripture-loving elders. All the churches that James wrote to When he said this to the 12 tribes of the dispersion in James chapter 5, verse 14, he says this, If any among you are sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So he's assuming that there are elders in every church. All the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia that Peter wrote to in 1 Peter chapter 5, Verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Then finally, all the churches Paul founded on his first missionary journey and presumably the other journeys as well. In Acts 14, verse 23, we see, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church... With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So the function of the elders was to lead, feed, protect, and care for the people of God entrusted to them. Just like good shepherds take good care of their flocks of sheep. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we see this. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. It's a direct command. Shepherd them, not under compulsion, but willingly. So we don't do this because we feel like it's our duty. That's not why we pastor churches because we feel like it's our duty and we don't do it for shameful gain, as he says next, to make a profit, but we do this willingly. We do it eagerly, he commands us. And we don't do it in a domineering way. He says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so we don't do this because we have to do this. We don't do this to make a a bunch of money Certainly not. We do it because we love you. Because we're following the Lord's leading in our lives. So first, pastors are to lead the flock. We lead them by word and by example. We point people to live the purpose of their lives, to glorify and magnify the name of Jesus and enjoy him forever. We feed the flock, teaching the word of God preaching and teaching sound doctrine, so you're not carried away by false teaching. I love it when we are watching something, you know, uh, on, on the TV, we'll be watching a, a, a pastor preach, or we'll hear it on the radio, and, uh, you know, my, my, my kids will be like, "There's just something not right about what that guy's saying. I'm like, yes, you're right, good listening, you understand sound doctrine, you can smell it when it's wrong. Thank God you are aware of that, right? That's our heart for us as a congregation and as pastors. We want you to know God's word and sound doctrine so that when the slick uh, pastor on TV or on the radio starts saying all kinds of weird stuff that is going to try to lead you astray, you'll be like, no, 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 I know what God's word says, and that's not what God's word says. You can know it, right? And so we feed you the word of God, good food right out of this Bible so that you'll be able to know when the false teaching is in front of you. And you can correct it. And then we protect and care for the flock. We watch for the wolves who look like sheep but aim to destroy. And we defend the sheep from attackers and heal the wounded and the weak. And we have had some wolves come through here. In our years of pastoring this church, we've had some wolves come through and it's been tough. And well, I thank God for my brothers. We stand unified, and the Lord. Uh, we pray often, Lord, keep the wolves out. Keep the wolves out. Help us protect our precious sheep here at Living Hope. And so, good pastors are to lead, feed, and protect the flock of God. And know that pastors are held accountable by God for their congregation, as I read earlier in Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We will give an account. To the lord jesus it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you hey and so there might be a time here when we ask you to do something that you don't understand you might not even like <laughs> And as elders, we're, we're teaching something or we're asking you to do something or you come to us and ask us for something. We're like, no, I'm not so sure that's God's best for you. Or, hey, maybe though your relationship with so-and-so it needs to be reconciled or any of those types of situations. And, and so, what, the, what Bible is saying here is even if you don't understand, willingly submit to that. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now, those aren't words our culture likes at all these days. Obey and submit. No, no. When I disagree with the pastors, I'm out. I'm gone. I'll just, if there's a thousand churches around here, uh, I'll just go to the one right next door. (laughs) Yeah, I'll just go to the one right down the street, right? That's what we do. That is what we do. I've seen it and it's happened here. We've had several families just say, oh, I don't want to submit to that. I'm out. I'm gone. Now you see one of the things we have as an advantage in this culture is you can just go to the, the church right down the street. There are a thousand churches within probably a five-mile radius of this building. It's not like that in other parts of the world. You go to Uganda, there might be one church within five miles. And you walk five miles to that church, and you're glad to. Because it's the only one where there are other brothers and sisters that you can worship with. Or you go to China, and there's only one church that you can go to without being arrested, because they haven't found that one out yet. And we take those things for granted here. And so, no, we don't submit. No, we don't obey the leaders. No, as soon as they say something or do something we don't like, or, you know, they're all into this ministry over here, and I just don't like that. I don't understand that. I'm out. I'm going, I say, please, brothers and sisters. No, let's talk about that. Let's work together with that. Let's pray together in that. And maybe through our differences, we can grow together. Let's not just be so quick and simple just to walk away. So obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. And let us do it with joy and not with groaning. There have been some folks in the past, they're not here anymore, but there was a lot of groaning over those folks. It's no advantage to anybody. It's a lose-lose situation in those cases. And so let's have unity through humility, love, and service for the sake of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. So you better believe that God cares about who leads his people and how they do it. This isn't something you take lightly. We as pastors, we're dealing with the eternal souls, God's people. And so, it is with great joy that we ordain Brother Tiago to the gospel and pastoral ministry. It's been a joy to get to know him and his family over the past year. You even revived my saxophone playing. Man, it's been sweet. He aspires to this great work of being a pastor, and he meets all the qualifications we've just read. And so we need to prayerfully support and encourage him and his family as they work through this pastoral process with our sister church. And it is a process. It is a process. It's uh, it's not a done deal yet. And so what we want to do now is take some time to hear from Tiago personally. Uh, So come on up, Tiago. I've asked him to share his testimony and his leading to ministry with us so that we can hear from his heart and be encouraged by his testimony.
1: Thank you, Ryan. So as Ryan said, um, it really is a work of God that he does in us and that he has done in your lives. As well. So I'd like to share a little bit, hopefully not a lot of bit, just a little bit <clears throat> about what God has done in my life. In fact, uh, some of you know, I grew up in a church setting. I was very much like many of you guys. I was running around just before I left the womb through the church hallways. And my mom was running to the church hallways.
0: <laughs> but from day one,
1: there <laughs> we go, from day one, day one, I was, my family has always been invested in church leadership. Uh, My uncle was a pastor. My father-in-law is a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. My grandma's father was a pastor. My mom's cousins are pastors. And so from day one is this expectation, well, you're going to follow the line. And the truth is from day one, I rebelled against that. I wanted nothing to do with it. In fact, becoming a pastor was the last thing I wanted when I was asked Oh, are you going to become a pastor like your uncle or your cousin or your brother or, or not my brother but my mom's cousins and i said no i don't want that because being inside the church family i witnessed a lot of things that i wish i hadn't witnessed i witnessed leadership done wrong i witnessed the problems that came with it and that's not to throw everything out out with the throw the baby out the bathwater, but those were things running through my mind right as pastor ryan just read i witnessed pastoral leadership that didn't meet the qualifications of the Bible. And so to me, that's what pastoring was, a heavy-handed leadership that was interested more in lording it over people than in actually caring for their souls. So from day one, I pushed back against that. And in fact, even though I was always involved in leadership, I was always involved in, in teaching or in singing and playing. Through my teenage years, uh, I was baptized when I was seven, But really, all all that happened was I got wet, yeah. And through my teenage years, I rebelled quite a bit. I continued going to church on Sunday mornings. I continued singing. I continued playing. But I was living a double life for quite a while, Uh, and it it became worse through the latter end, latter years of my high school days and the first few years of college. Where I'll go to church on Sunday and I'll teach the youth, and I'll sing and I'll play, and sometimes maybe even. Preach, but then on after service or during the week, I'd go and do everything else that the world was doing, sometimes worse. And that led for quite a few years where I was living this double life. I was one person on Sundays and I was another person throughout the week. And it got to the point where eventually I couldn't handle both. One had to win. And so my sinful nature won. And so I just gave myself fully into the world of addiction and immorality and all sorts of debauchery. But God was very merciful on me. My mom prayed for me day after day. She still prays for me. And we had, uh, I I was fortunate, like I said, to grow up in a family that served God and continuously prayed for, for us. My grandfather was known for continuously praying for his children and his children's children and his children's 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 children. And I'm thankful for that because what ended up happening was as I went and I partied and as I went and, and got myself involved in these things over time, I stopped enjoying them. I stopped finding pleasure in them. In fact, I lived in a house in college with seven other uh, mates and it was a big party house. And I remember one night being there um, in the middle of a party and everybody's excited. And I'd go to my friend and said, doesn't this get old? Aren't you getting tired of this, right? Isn't this kind of lame after a while? He said, no, man, this is great. This is what I live for. I don't know what I'd be if it wasn't for this. And time after time again, I was brought back to Isaiah 55 for some reason. Whether it was me just opening the Bible and landing on it or me hearing it somewhere. And, and here's why Isaiah 55 says this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money. Come, buy, eat. Come without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you use your labor for that which does not satisfy? And those words kept ringing in my head. Why am I wasting my life for that which doesn't satisfy? And for the longest time, I tried by my own strength. I tried stopping. And I maybe last for a week and go right back into it. I tried getting away from my friends, but then I'd get lonely and I'd have to go hang out with my friends and fall right back into it over again. And as I come back to this passage, I would always stop right there. Why do you waste your labor or your money for that which isn't bread, for that which doesn't satisfy? And I never kept reading. But then, if you keep reading, it says, listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself with rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My steadfast love, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander to the peoples. Then he goes down, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon me. Amen. And at that moment, in my, in my time of desperation of trying to get away, trying to run away from the sinful life, and I couldn't, I realized what I, what I really had to do is I had to cry out to God for his strength and for his enablement. And over time, there wasn't a specific day, but over time, God began to change the, the desires of my heart. I stopped enjoying the things I used to love and I started loving other things. And it God orchestrated things so much that at that time, as he was working my heart, that's when he brought Jessica back into my life. She had ignored me for about five years. Uh, more on that later. Yeah, for good reason. One of us needed a little grown up to do, to say the least. But God brought her back into my life. and So she became a partner of accountability, somebody who could be a friend. I had to leave all my friends behind. And God so worked things out that when we got married, we moved to North Carolina, and I was able to finally leave that life behind and, and start over. And as Pastor Ron said a few weeks ago, God put a new song in his heart, and he did the same to me. Now, even at that point, I never aspired to be a leader, to be a pastor. I just wanted to serve God. I, I read this a couple weeks ago, but this, is, this was, was what was in my heart. I have been compelled by the love of Christ in 2nd Corinthians, Corinthians 5.14. Because I have, we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who for their sake died and rose again. And so in my mind, all I wanted, I just wanted to serve God. I wanted to make his word known. I wanted to teach. That's why I began seminary, not because I wanted to be a pastor, to be a leader. I just wanted to know more of God's word. I wanted to be able to to live for him. And I failed and I failed and I failed over and over again, but God continued to be merciful. And it just so happened that as God increased his desire, I started realizing, looking around and saying, man, God has given me so much. He has orchestrated so many events in my life to lead me to where I am now. He has put the right people at the right time. He has given the right tools, the right skills to be able to meet different needs in different locations and to learn from those needs. And I said, what am am I going to say when I stand before God? And he holds us accountable for everything that he has given to us and for everything we've done. What am I going to say when he asks you, Tiago, what have you done with the talents I've given to you? Did you hide them away in the dirt so that you wouldn't lose them? Where did you use them to multiply? And as God continued to work in this in my heart, another passage later on Second 2 Corinthians, he says this, Paul says in chapter 9, he says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has the saga in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now he's talking about giving financially, but not just financially talking about giving of yourself for the cause of God's kingdom. And he goes on. He says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound for all good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be increased in every way to be generous in every way. And as I was driving home that night, like Ryan mentioned from our prayer group, I was thinking, God, you've given us so much. You've multiplied the harvest of our righteousness. You've given us seed. And what are we to do with that? And as I drove through the back roads of Youngsville, Good 96. And I started asking, God, God, what is it that you want us to do with all that you've given to us? And I drove and I saw all these old church buildings, small church buildings. And I started thinking, man, it's so sad. So many of these are probably dying. So many of these churches are dying for lack of leadership, for lack of people stepping in and helping. And I began to think, I was like, well, what if that's what God is calling us to? What if that's what God brought us here for, to put us in a position where we wouldn't have to depend financially on a church providing for us but that we would just be able to help and step in and help revitalize What if that's what God is, is calling us for And so I, dro- I drove home and um, and I said well let me take a look. Let me see if there are some churches who are looking for help who are needing somebody to step in and they just can't uh, they can't support them fully and so I, I looked and lo and behold there was one church. That put out net, And it just so happened to be, as Ryan said, the church right next door, Unity Baptist. And they needed somebody to step in like that, a, a bi-vocational pastor who could step in and help bring some some uh, revitalization to their to their congregation. And through all the coincidences, which aren't really coincidences, all the correspondences of the events, I said, there's no, there's no way. That all these things happened by chance, and if you had asked me the day before, "Tell you want to become a pastor?" Said, nope. And I was like, "Man, maybe that's God breaking down the walls, and and maybe He's showing me that being a pastor is not this heavy-handed. Hey, follow me or else. But it's this stepping in and meeting needs and giving of your life for the sake of those God is calling. And I hope that that maybe. God will be pleased to use us if that's his will to use us up there. Like he said, there's nothing, there's nothing in stone yet. But I do want to say one last thing. And I was talking to, to Ryan about this before. And that's in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says this Listen, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now he's not writing to pastors, he's writing to everybody. Every single one of you has a calling. If you're in Christ, you are anointed, and you have a calling. You just have to figure out what that looks like. And it typically tends to go on with the desires of your heart. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, Father of all, who's over all and through all. And so if God sees it fit for my family and I to go over there, I want you guys to understand that there's one body. There's one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. There's one spirit. There's one God and Father of all. And that as I talked to Ryan and the other pastors that our intention would be to continue to minister together, to continue to join hands and to see what that looks like. And maybe just maybe set an example for the other churches around to come together and to put aside differences and to come together under the one, the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and, and make God's name known in this land. And maybe, maybe. We might be able to do what Jesus said in John 13. Remember we, when his disciples were afraid because he was going to die. And he says, listen, here's the best apologetic technique you can have. You want to draw the people. You want to convince the people that God is real. You want to convince them that I really am who I say I am. And here's what you need to do. Write down these seven steps about the proof of the existence of God. Now, remember the, the arguments from Alistair and some, And then make sure you're reading also, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And, and then read also what Richard Dawkins has said so you know how to combat his arguments. And then, just then, you might be able to convince people. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those. I love philosophy. I love apologetics. I love reading those things. But when Jesus said, here's the one thing you need to do, what was it? Love one another live in unity, pursue the unity of the spirit. Then he prayed in chapter 17, he says, Father, make them one even, even as we are one. Why? So that the world may know that you have sinned. Could that be why the gospel witness is so dry in our nation? Because churches are just establishing their own empires and just their own little islands and just ministering for themselves, with themselves, by themselves. And so I pray that if it is God's will, that he would be pleased to not only help us revitalize a small church, but actually begin a movement where we can actually show to the world, hey, churches can actually work together. And they can actually serve together and they can sing together and they can worship together. So that's my prayer. And I hope that's your prayer as well. And and I want you guys to take the call seriously. Like Ryan said, maybe God is working in your heart. Maybe young, young people, you're, you're wondering, what do I do in my life? Well, you only have one life, so don't waste it. Either live for yourself and regret it all or live for God. So I want to thank you guys for the opportunity, and I want to thank you guys um, for opening your, your arms and receiving us, um, being willing to, to allow me with my shenanigans and my guitar. Um, but I hope you guys, if, if, if it, it is God's will for us to go, that you will continue that, and now you have at least one person up here swinging with Pastor Ryan.
0: <laughs>
1: he can't swing by himself. <laughs> okay, thank you.
0: Thank you brother. We want to pray for you. Uh, you can uh, have a seat there in that beautiful, comfortable blue chair. <laughs> it was the practice of the New Testament church to gather together and lay hands on and. Pray for those who were appointed to the offices of pastor and deacon. And so we're going to do that today. And following their example, we'd ask anyone who would like to come down and pray. Uh, Tiago's getting a lot of hands laid on him these days. Um, so we're going to lay hands on him and pray. And so anybody else that would like to come down, come on down. And um, we'll lay hands on Brother Tiago. Pray for him. So go ahead and come on down here. All are welcome to come as we pray. <clears throat> God will. All right, anybody else that would like to come, come on down. And let's pray, brothers and sisters. Lord, this is a special day. It's a joyful day, uh, Lord, and uh, we just thank you for the work that you're doing uh, in and through your people here at Living Hope. We thank you for Tiago and Jessica and Maddox and Mackenzie. What a blessing they are to us and Oh, God, I thank you for this leading into ministry that you've placed in all of their hearts, God. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill them. You would fill them overflowing uh, with your love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Lord. That your fruit, the fruit of your spirit would be seen in their lives. And Lord, we pray that as they go and, and, and lead Unity Baptist Church, that you bless that congregation, Lord that uh, your name would be magnified there, that uh, that church, Lord, would multiply uh, for your glory. And both of us as sister churches, Lord, would grow together in the unity of the gospel and the bond of peace, Lord. And I thank you that it's the church right next door that you've led him to. know, I, I don't think that's a coincidence um, at all. Uh, and Lord, help us to see that this, this isn't a door that's closing, but this, this isn't a goodbye, uh, but this is a door that's swinging wide open, that uh, more souls in Youngsville would see your beauty, Jesus, that more people would feel your love, Lord Jesus, that we would be your hands and your feet to this community, Lord, as Living Hope and as Unity Baptist, and that we would grow together as sister churches, Lord, ministering together, Lord, for your glory, And and I just pray, Lord, that people would see that and say, wow, you know, how does that even work? How is that possible? Churches don't do that. Well, you know, we we do because we love Jesus. And that's the thing that unifies all of us, Lord. And so we just pray, Lord, that uh, you'd use Tiago and Jessica and their family in in just a great way, Lord. That you'd encourage their hearts, uh, Lord, and uh, the good times and uh, carry them through the tough times, Lord. Help them to uh, lead, feed, and protect the flock that you've entrusted to them and be with them through this whole process, Lord. Give them much wisdom, much discernment. Uh, may your Holy Spirit guide all of it. Jesus, we, we love you. Uh, we magnify your name uh, and we love you and we just pray all this in your name. Amen. You gonna have cake? <laughs> <laughs> no? oh, we, we need cake. Lord, <laughs> I so cake. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Well, we praise the Lord for his work in the life of this church, and may he continue to bless and grow us for his own glory, and may the name of Jesus continue to be magnified here at Living Hope and at Unity Baptist and to the ends of the earth.